chapter 2. <clears throat> Colossians 1. <clears throat> We're not going to consider the entire uh, entirety of uh, the rest of the remaining chapter. Merely just verses 26 through 27, although we will make comments on 24, 25, 28, and 29. For our time this afternoon, we will consider verses 26 through 27. 27. Colossians 1, verse 24 through 29 say this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh... I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mildly works within me. May God have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here in these verses, in the closing chapters of of, uh, Colossians 1, we have presented for us Paul's philosophy of ministry. Paul's philosophy of ministry, that is to say, if you were to ask St. Paul, what is your motivation for all that you do? Well, first and foremost, he will tell you because Jesus Christ loved him and gave himself up for him. That all of what Christ does is because Jesus Christ has loved him and died for him. But also we see here that the sufferings that Paul has endured throughout his time has been for a purpose. Has been for a purpose. And that is for the church. All of what he has done up to his life since Jesus Christ appeared to him on that, that, that road that he has labored, that he has suffered in his flesh, mentally, I'm sure, everything he has done has been for the body of Christ. Everything that he has done. In fact, he even says that his preaching, he labors to strive to present every Christian complete in Christ. This is the ministry of Paul. He is so focused, and it's so interesting, is it not, that the man who was formerly persecuting and gave his every effort to destroy the church is now the one who he himself is suffering. Mm -hmm. That he himself labors and strides to present the church as holy, to present the church as what the church is, the bride of Christ. This is St. Paul's philosophy of ministry, that this one, again, who persecuted Christ's church, is now, in verse 24, 
happily. He's happy in his his own persecution for Christ's church. We will actually speak of St. Paul's uh, rejoicing and joy and sufferings next Sunday morning. But this is St. Paul's philosophy of ministry. For our time this afternoon, though, we want to consider verses 26 through 27. And the main point for us, saints of God, the main point for us to live in light of, the main point for us to contemplate on in light of verse 26 and 27 is simply this, is that we need to focus on the extraordinary privilege that we have in the gift of faith and Jesus Christ. That we are to contemplate on the extraordinary privilege that we have in the gift of faith and Jesus Christ. Congregation, it's quite easy for us to think of all the spiritual blessings that God has given to us as ordinary. It's very easy for us to think of all the things that God has given to us as regular. In other words, the faith that has been given to us by God, the love and the hope that the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts, can no longer seem as a precious gift because we have lived with those virtues for so long. It's kind of like buying a brand new television or buying a brand new car. In the first weeks, the first months, it's fun. You cannot stop looking at the television or car, but over time, you no longer see that television. You no longer see the car as glorious as you once did. And why is that? Because you've had it for so long. Because it became common to you. It became common for you to watch a beautiful uh, TV on a big screen. It's been, it's been common, become common to you, ordinary to you, normal to you, to drive the car that you drive and to work at the job that you work at. But the St. Paul saints, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself was never common to him. It was never ordinary to him. Christ never became regular to him. Jesus Christ and all of what Christ has done for St. Paul was never something that lived on the shelves of Paul's heart. And this is what he's telling us this afternoon, saints. That if we are not careful, that we can view our salvation in the same way we view our televisions, in the same way we view our relationships with others, in the same way we view the jewelry that we wear, the clothes that we buy, the places that we go to eat. And in these two verses uh, in our, in, that St. Paul brings to us, saints, he reminds us here in Colossae and he reminds us in Bakersfield that what we receive from God and all that we receive from God is simply this. It's a gift. That everything that we have received from God is a gift. In order for us to understand this great gift of salvation, Paul first considers the mystery and hiddenness of the gift. The mystery and the hiddenness of the gift. Remember, God has given to you a gift. He's given to you the gospel, which speaks of 
the salvation that we that's offered to us in Jesus Christ. This gift is Jesus Christ himself, but Paul first considers that this gift is also a mystery and it's hidden. Verse 26, he says, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generation. One of my wife's favorite, one of my wife's favorite things to do, um, is to watch mystery movies. I'm sure many of you like to watch mystery movies. I can't stand mystery movies. Um, I literally cannot stomach them. And because I think uh, I'm a, a little antsy in my pants, I just want to fast forward and get to who did it. But we love mystery movies, do we not? Where clues and hints are given throughout the movie. And finally, at the very end, we, we have this great mystery revealed. And here in verse 26, St. Paul is aliking the gospel of Jesus Christ in the same way. First, St. Paul says that this gospel of Christ is a mystery. Is a mystery. How does St. Paul use this word mystery? Now, Paul is not using the word mystery as something unintelligible or perplexing. Something that doesn't make sense. That is a modern way in which we use mystery. But rather, St. Paul's uses of mystery is not meant to be used as a secret. This is not secret knowledge that Paul is speaking of, which was a popular way to use mystery in Paul's time. Everyone was running around talking about they had secret knowledge. But rather, the murder mystery for St. Paul is meant to mean something that was hidden and partially known, but is now fully revealed. Here in our context, St. Paul is using the word mystery as something that was hidden and partially known, but is now fully revealed. Again, think of a mystery movie. You have clues throughout the movie, and you have hints, and at the very end, the full revelation of what all those clues and hints were pointing to is revealed. <clears throat> what is this mystery that Paul is speaking of? Simply put, salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that Paul is speaking of. That Jesus Christ and the salvation that he was going to and that he did most assuredly win on the behalf of his people. That that is hidden or was hidden and partially known. It is now fully revealed. Now a question that may arise is this. Well, where, where was this mystery, where was it hidden at? Well, to answer the question, it was hidden in the Old Testament. This mystery was hidden in the Old Testament. Christ and his gospel was partially known in the Old Testament. Another question that might arise is, well then, how was anyone saved in the Old Testament? How was anyone saved in the Old Testament? If salvation in Jesus Christ was something hidden and partially known in the Old Testament, but was fully revealed in the New Testament, how was anyone saved prior to Jesus Christ? Well, saints of God, we don't want to think that the gospel of Christ in the New Testament is extraordinarily different than the gospel of Christ in the Old Testament. We are to think that the way in which 
believers are made believers in the New Testament is any different than how believers are made believers in the Old Testament. But rather, it's always been by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want to think, saints, that the gospel of Christ was something not present in the Old Testament. Consider St. Paul's words in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul says that the gospel, or rather, first and foremost, that he was set apart for the gospel, but also that this gospel was presented beforehand, meaning the gospel that he was set apart for precedes him. It existed before him. That Paul did not invent the gospel of Christ, nor did Peter, nor did James, nor did Timothy. No one other than God himself. God himself is the divine um, um, author of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice, St. Paul says that the gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What scriptures is Paul talking about? What scriptures is Paul talking about? Well, saints of God, Paul is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures. In other words, what Paul is saying is the Old Testament scriptures contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it's hard to read, but Jesus Christ is there. I know there's a lot of uh, words that we may not pronounce, but Jesus Christ is most assuredly, his name and all, is there. We can say that the Old Testament contained, the Old Testament spoke, the Old Testament even produced believers of Jesus Christ. The gospel then, congregation, is not a production of the New Testament. But the prophets of the Old Testament preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 11. Consider this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Here, St. Peter says that the gospel was promised beforehand, echoing St. Paul. In other words, congregation, or rather we can even ask, well then how was this gospel presented? How was it presented? We know that it's there in the Old Testament. We know that the prophets spoke of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is there, contained in the Old Testament. But how was he preached? How was Christ preached? And St. Peter tells us that Christ was preached by way of promise in the Old Testament. How was Christ preached? How did Moses? How did Abraham? How did Isaiah? How did Ezekiel? How did all these great men and women preach and teach Christ? How did they present Christ? They present Christ by way of promise. By way of of promise. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke of one who will come. Spoke of one who will come. And this is what separates saints. If we want to make any distinction between the gospel in the Old Testament and the gospel in the New Testament, one of the distinctions is simply this, is that the gospel in the Old Testament was communicated by way of 
the Messiah will come. Amen. And the gospel in the New Testament is presented in the way of, and he has come. Amen. The one who was promised in the Old Testament has now come. The old spoke of the Messiah to come. The new says the Messiah has come. But saints of God, we must make this clear distinction about the gospel in the Old Testament. That Jesus Christ was presented, no doubt. That Christ is contained in the Old Testament scriptures, no doubt. But Jesus Christ was presented and is contained in a veiled form. In a veiled form. That is to say, Christ was preached under a shadow. That Christ was presented through a glass darkly. In many ways, we can say that the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament was hidden and partially known. It was a mystery to all who preached. It was a mystery to the prophets of the Old Testament who preached the gospel. Again, the very ones who preached the gospel in the Old Testament the one and they're and they're preaching to these to these to these to these men and women to to repent and believe upon the one who will come. That message was a mystery to them. Remember again, Saint Peter said in First Peter one and one and ten one and eleven, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The prophets searched. And inquired carefully, what? Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets are, yes, preaching Christ, but they are searching on who this one is. The prophets are preaching Christ, yes, they're saying that you look toward this one that's to come, but they themselves are also inquiring who this one will be. For example, or rather, here we see that the prophets spoke of Christ. However, they didn't fully understand all that what they were saying. Again, saints, the prophets didn't understand fully all of what they were preaching. For example, when Moses wrote Genesis, and under God's inspiration, he writes in Genesis 3.15 that there is going to become a, 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 a seed who will come and, and crush the serpent's head, and the seed will come from the woman. When Moses is pinning that under the inspiration of God, although Moses believes this, he doesn't fully understand what he's writing. Although he believes this, he's not fully wrapping his mind around all of what's being said. Moses doesn't... Moses. It would be far-fetched to think that Moses thought when he was pinning Genesis 3.15 under the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit that that seed that will come from the woman is actually the eternal Son of God. Even those believing in the prophesied Messiah in the Old Testament, even they, even those who believed upon this one who will come for them, they didn't fully comprehend let me just make a little distinction. Apprehending, saints, is placing your hand upon the thing. But comprehending is placing your whole mind around it, that you know all the ins and outs of the thing. The saints in the Old Testament apprehended Christ, but did not comprehend all of what's being said. And even those, even those who were believing upon Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was to come, 
We have this example in Christ's road to Emmaus. Luke 24. He's traveling with two men. And these two men begin to ask Christ, uh, or rather explain to Christ, all of what's happened concerning Jesus Christ. Do you remember what they said? He says, and he said to them, what are these things that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they came to a stop looking at and sad. One of them answered and said to him, are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that happened here in these days? Again, you have the risen, ascended Christ walking with two men saying, why are you sad? And these two men look at the risen and ascended Christ and saying, do you not know what just happened? I'm sure Christ thinking in his own mind, yes, I'm the one that it happened to. But yes, I do know what happened. And then they begin to say, they begin to say that about Jesus of Nazareth, who, who proved to be the prophet and mighty indeed and word in the sight of God, all the people and how the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it was now the third day since these things happened. In other words, these men believed in Christ. They believed that he was the promised one. But what does Christ say in verse 25? And then he said to them, You foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and come into his glory. And then beginning with Moses and with the, all the prophets, he explained to them all the things written about himself in all of scripture. In other words, these two men, for however long it was, had the greatest Bible study that one can ever have. That the one who was the very author of the book said, let's go back to the very beginning and I will show you, I will show you that everything that happened to me was predicted in the Old Testament. Saints of God, even the angels, even the angels didn't fully comprehend all of what was to happen concerning Jesus Christ. So we have the prophets didn't fully comprehend we have the people believing didn't fully comprehend, but also the holy angels. St. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 12, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Things in which angels long to look. There's a distinction that we make, saints, when we talk about the knowledge of angels concerning Jesus Christ and what they knew uh, uh, about Jesus Christ. St. Thomas Aquinas is helpful. He says, all the angels had some knowledge from the very beginning respecting the mystery of God's kingdom, which, which found its conception in Christ. Yet not all the angels had fully and equally apprehend it. For they, they, for, for they fully and certainly known that he was the son of God and the effect of his passion. They would have never procured at the crucifixion of the Lord of glory, though. In other words, the angels knew that man was going to be redeemed. 
but they didn't know the manner, the full extent. As Pastor Antonio said so beautifully this morning, the the very um the very apex of love that God shows to his people and that the eternal son of God would die on a cross. They knew he was going to come. They knew the substance of the thing, but not all of the very details of the thing. Isaiah 63 speaks of this. Many of the Old Testament writers, or rather Old Testament writers, I'm so sorry, Many of the church fathers, they have interpreted Isaiah 63 verses 1 through 3 as as Christ, when he ascends to heaven, the angels are very perplexed on who they see. It says, who is this who comes from Edom? Edom can also be translated from the earth. Who is this who comes from the earth? This is the angel speaking with garments of glowing colors and boras. This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. And then, and then they interpret it as Christ saying to the angels, It is I, the one who speaks in righteousness, mighty to save. They ask Christ then, Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads on the winepress? In verse 3, Christ responds to the angels and says, I have trodden the wine alone and from the people's there was no one with me. In other words, he tells the holy angels, I have just defeated my enemies. That is why I look like this. I have just defeated my enemies. In summary congregation, the gospel of the Old Testament was one of a dimly lit lamp. But notice what St. Paul says concerning the, the end of verse 26. He says, but now has been revealed to the saints. In other words, that dimly lit lamp that is, that is, that is, that, that was in the Old Testament, is now shining in all of its strength as we come to the New Testament. That the shadow of Christ has now become a reality. That those types and figures that was pointing forward to Jesus Christ has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. As St. John tells us, the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. God in Christ kept the promise that He made Long ago in the Garden of Eden, he said that a seed would come from the woman who would crush the head of the snake. And that seed was the only begotten Son of God made man for us and our salvation. The fullness of God's plan to restore his creation was revealed in Jesus Christ. Fully revealed. No more dim lit uh, lit lamp. And no congregation. Who does St. Paul say God revealed such mysteries to? The ending of verse 26 and the beginning of verse 27. Who, who, who receives and understands this mystery? But now has been revealed to his saints. To whom God will to make known. These words tell us two things concerning the gospel of Christ, congregation. Number one, in order to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, God must open their eyes. In order to fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, God must open the eyes. You, upon your own strength, cannot believe your way to heaven. Upon your own strength, you can't argue your way to saving faith. No matter how many books you read, how many debates you're in, you cannot think your way to God. It is only God who opens the eyes. And I love the way Paul identifies those whom 
the eyes are open to believe. He says in verse 26, his saints, his saints, not the saints, his saints, God's saints. That is to say, God's gospel, God's Christ is only reserved for God's saints. Saints of God, if you believe upon the message of Lord Jesus Christ, and if you can say in your heart right now that you are saved, that this message has been reserved for you. This is such a humbling truth, is it not? A humbling truth that the God of heaven and earth claims you. The God of heaven and earth claims you. He says you are mine. He says you are mine. Just as the church says of her Christ in Song of Songs 2.16, My beloved is mine and I am his. God says that of us as well. That we say of Christ, Christ is ours and Christ says of us and you are mine. You are my saints. Congregation, this is the first reason why we are not to take for granted the gift of Christ and his gospel. For what has been revealed to you, congregation, has been reserved for you. What has been revealed to you has been reserved for you. Before you ever believed upon Christ, God chose you out of all the peoples in the world to believe upon Jesus Christ. Or we can say, before you ever believed, your spot in God's believing kingdom was already reserved. Before you ever believed upon Christ, God made sure that you will believe upon Christ. And saints of God, that's very humbling, is it not? We think of all those who we know who don't believe upon Jesus Christ. And the word of God tells us that they can't believe if God, unless God opens their eyes. But God has opened my eyes. God has shown me the truth. This saints ought to allow us to cherish to cherish what's been revealed to us. To cherish what's been revealed to us. Because these verses also tell us, congregation, that Christ and his gospel is still a mystery. Amen. That Christ and his gospel is still a mystery. <clears throat> we have, saints of God, although God has come in the flesh, although the eternal Son of God was made man, Although there was an actual historical man who lived over 2,000 years ago and his name was Jesus Christ. Although you can go to the very tomb that he was in. Although you can go to the very spot that he was crucified. Although you can go to the very land that he walked upon. Although you can read the Bible in all of its clarity. Although all these things. The gospel of Christ is still hidden. The gospel of Christ is still a mystery. St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He also says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Isn't that so, so interesting that, that Christ can come in the flesh, or rather the eternal Son can come in the flesh, we have all these historical documents that record that there was an actual man named Jesus who died and rose from the dead. In light of all of this, you can say, material evidence, 
that's out there. God and his gospel and his Christ is still hidden. It's still a mystery. Saints of God, this should give us confidence when we are talking to non-believers and skeptics. Present to them all the evidence you can. There's nothing wrong with evidence. Present to them the, the historical accounts of Jesus Christ and the historical accounts of the Bible itself. But saints of God, you must understand this. That you can present all the evidence you can, but if God doesn't open the eyes, all of what you show them is a mystery. All of what you show them is hidden. As we come to a close in these verses, we see here the reason we see here the reason why God chose us to believe, congregation. Why did God choose us to believe? Why was this gospel reserved for us? Verse 27. To whom God willed to make known the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles is the mystery that is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Why does God choose? Why does he choose for us to believe. What is it for? To show himself off. What is it for? For him to show his goodness. For him to show the riches and the wealth of who? Of his son Jesus Christ. Saints of God. It is a rich gospel that you believe in. And it's a glorious Christ that you have faith in. Think of the privilege that you have in this rich gospel. You have the great privilege of justification. That you are now declared innocent of Adam's and yours crime. You are now declared innocent. But also you receive a perfect standing before God. So on judgment day, God does not turn his face away from you. But he turns his face toward you with a smile. Because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have adoption. That not only do you have a standing, a right standing before God, but also you're in the family of God. You're in the family of God. That you actually really are a child of God. You also have congregation sanctification. That God does not just leave you by yourself with no principles inherent within you, with no with no one within you working. But he gives to you his Holy Spirit. He gives to you his Son. The Father indwells in the believer. In order to do what? To make us like him. And then also you have glorification. You have glorification, congregation. That's what you are now. And all that you desire to be will be fully realized soon enough. Very soon, congregation, all of what you have dreamt of being spiritually will come to pass. It's coming, congregation. It's coming. And how do we know this? How do we know this? Because St. Paul says, our hope is Jesus Christ. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And notice how he identifies us, congregation. He says to you Gentiles. Gentiles. 
to you Gentiles, the ones whom Scripture calls and says frequently were far off, the ones whose Scripture frequently uh, uh, says that the promises to Israel uh, are, are pertain to the Gentiles, but but not in a first way, in a second way. The gospel presented is, is first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But here, here, St. Paul says that even those who are not Jews, even those who are not of the bloodline of Abraham, receive the very same blessings of Abraham. Even those who are not of national Israel, are made sons and daughters of God. And look, congregation, the last privilege that St. Paul tells us. He says that it's not just enough that the eternal Son of God becomes man and dwells with people on earth. That's not enough. He says that the eternal Son of God became man and now lives in the hearts of His people. That God does not just tabernacle here on earth. He makes his home in our hearts. As Christ says in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our dwelling with him. I've spoken on this, Pastor Antonio has spoken on this frequently. Just to remind you, it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very one saints of God. The very triune God. You know, when you're studying the doctrine of the Trinity, you say to yourself, how am I ever going to understand this? How am I ever going to get this? That very one lives inside of you. That very one lives inside of you. That saints of God is the hope that we have for the future. Because Christ lives in me. Because Christ lives in me. Saints of God, I don't want this merely to be a reminder for you, but also a great rehearsal for you. A great rehearsal for you to remember and to remind yourself of the glorious, glorious salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. The glorious salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. I close with the words of Psalm 77, and and I pray, saints, that these will be your words as well. The psalmist says in verse 11 and 12, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Let's pray.